I, I'd reached a point in like 2019, 2020 to where I realized, like, you did it. Like, I'm basically financially secure for the rest of my life. And it's not an actively ongoing thing. I scaled myself down to five hours a week of work um, in a business that was doing high five figures a month at the time in profit. Welcome to the Whack Attack podcast. My name is John Cooper. I'm from Austin, Texas, and I like to party. (laughs) Welcome to the Whack Attack. Hey, John, thank you for coming out for Texas to be on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, I flew all the way out here just for you guys. So tell everybody, we met when we were much younger. Okay, and our journeys well, let me, uh, through let me... life and through uh, us being entrepreneurs sort of aligned when we are both young. Tell us about you know yourself and where you started from, and we'll talk about the rest of your journey on the uh, remainder of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Tampa, Florida. Um, I got a job in high school doing SEO, something that we bonded over at conferences, uh, and... From that part-time high school job, got really sucked into it, read a bunch of books. I ended up starting a blog before I left high school. And the name of the blog was? The name of the blog was Point Blank SEO. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. And ironically, uh, raised by a Quaker father who was very anti-gun. So, um, (laughs) you know, that went over well. Yeah. So what's your logo? It's a a target. Archery, (laughs) archery, dad. Archery. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, continue. Yeah. So through that blog, uh, which was just a passionate thing, I was just interested in doing something that wasn't purely academic and had like real world implications. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I in the January of 2012, it started to blow up. Um, I started to have people contact me to like offer me actual money to do this. And at the same time, I was getting rejected by every school I wanted to get into. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's choose the alternative path because F the system. And certain thank- doors are opening and you're walking through them. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. And so through that blog, I ended up starting an agency that uh, I built. And I still technically run. It's basically winded down at this point. Um, but my start in my entrepreneurial journey was uh, just through a blog where I just shared my ideas with this thing that I discovered. So, and that thing was SEO. And for those who don't know what SEO is, SEO is search engine optimization. Uh, it's how you get uh, websites to rank high in Google search results, right? So obviously, it sounds like snake oil, you know, and salesmen and stuff like that. Oh yeah, ninety five percent. Specifically, of it is. what do what do you do with SEO? Is like a specific niche or something you work in? Yeah. So uh, most of my friends that made through the industry would be more holistic in terms of doing all the different parts because. When it comes to getting it shown in Google, there's there's aspects of making sure Google understands what your website is about. There's aspects of making sure that your website loads fast. There's a lot of technical stuff. There's a lot of just like the quality of information on your website, whether that dictates whether Google thinks it's worth showing. And then there's a final piece of the puzzle, which is the specific part I did, which is, okay, when there's a million websites all about the same thing, how does Google decide which one is the best on that? Sometimes it's really not competitive. Sometimes you might have like three other like coin collector blogs to compete with <laughs> for whatever it is you're writing about. But sometimes if you're like an in insurance, I mean, there's a million people that would love to show up for car insurance in Google. And uh, at that point, they need someone to signal to Google that their particular website is very trustworthy and authoritative. And the way that Google deduces that 
and what made Google unique when they first started was they they looked at the links, the little hyperlinks within articles across the web. And uh, the more links you had in the links from more trustworthy websites, so let's say if CNN wrote an article about Geico and they linked to Geico's website from that article, Google would see that as a vote. And so the more votes you have, essentially, the more important you were. And so I ended up doing what is closest to essentially digital PR. So you're telling me that you are like the puppet master of the popularity contest on the internet? Wait, you're a link builder. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but, but not necessarily the so the places that Google thinks are like really good votes are not the same thing as the average person. So maybe the newspapers you read would be a really great place to be referenced. And that is true, but something like a government public website or like a university website like that might not get viewed a lot, but like Google would trust those websites quite largely. And so it was more of being sneaky at not trying to get covered where every other PR person is trying to get covered, but actually looking for these other pockets of websites online that Google thinks is trustworthy. And that was sort of where I made my bread and butter to start was looking after those sites. So you're telling me that you are super niched up in the world of SEO with just building links. And then to build links, you had to go pick a super niche market to do that. I like that. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people out there. Niche up is a good way to make some money. It is. So the backstory is, and hold on, Curtis, we did bring some whiskey for you. Right, we got some Bowman brothers. Amazing! Hey, Curtis, here. could you pour us some glasses? Oh <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I will pour glasses out of thin air. <laughs> there you go! Wow! Hey. Oh my God! Cheers, guys! Cheers, John! Thank you for coming out from Texas. Good we to appreciate see you. you. Good to see you. Cheers, guys! Thanks for here. having me. Yeah. Mm. And if you hear that slurp, oof, that'll put some hair in your chest. Definitely. Uh, some people might not want hair on chest. Who knows? Maybe they want it on their forehead. Yeah, European wax. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got a five head because it's receding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, to to kind of come back to how we met you, right? So that was that was your story. We'll uh, let you go a little bit deeper I didn't on meet that. You guys, I met Alan. That, well, yeah, Ta-da! Well, you met <laughs> ding, 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 us ding, through Alan. I was going to give the backstory. So yeah. if you meet Alan, you meet Curtis. I, I think it's like 2014 so. or 2013. Well, like we didn't have a ton of money starting up our company, but we had just signed, I think it was like our second contract. And when I, we told our mom, I was like, I got somebody to pay us $15,000 and make them two websites. Okay. <laughs> and she was like, you did what? So anyway, we had enough money and Alan's like, I want to go to MozCon. And Wally and I are like, well, we only have um, like enough to pay for one person to go there. So we send Alan and Wally and I stay home at work. And Alan comes back and tells us that there's only two people that were underage at the time and they got called out in front of there's everyone. Like, there's like 1,200 people at this conference and they go, and so the pub crawl tonight is da 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 da. And uh, if Alan, Morty, and John Cooper can come up on stage, you guys are underage, and so we have two things for you guys to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, like, is... the keynote speaker felt bad but knew you and introduced us together, right? Yep. And that's how we met. Yeah, so that's the backstory. And then, you know, almost a decade later, we've hung out quite a few times. You guys have yeah. hung out quite a few more. Yeah. And life is good. So jump back on. So didn't you end up selling the blog? Yes. Yes. About... Uh, five or six years into the blog got to the point where essentially it was a line of business to where there was more opportunity than there were service providers. And so if you did good work, you would get more referrals than you could handle. And so I was pretty active with the blog for a couple of years. And that was a great way to just like get into like the general sphere of the industry. But it was quickly becoming a situation where most people use platforms 
blogs, podcasts, anything to kind of amplify. And if they're a service-based business to attract more business, I was at the point where I was like, I can't even handle the amount of business I'm getting like this. And scaling it is very hard while maintaining quality for the kind of work we were doing. So I essentially just stopped blogging. And then uh, it was two, it was two years after my last blog post where I had a close friend of mine who does very similar work and he wanted to just buy it and redirect the content over to his site because he was doing something very different. He wasn't doing services. He was doing uh, just like educational courses. And so it was a natural fit for him. So he took it off my hands and uh, yeah, that was like 2017. So mm-hmm. I've been identity list for six years. So now let's go from you're producing all this content. You start to build and grow an agency. How did you go from solo dolo to, you know, building an agency? Yeah, it just became a situation of I'm getting a lot of offers to do a lot of work and I filled up my time pretty quickly. And I had that exact same struggle that every entrepreneur does, which is the hardest, the hardest thing to, the hardest hurdle to get over is you not doing everything, not everything being under your, under your stamp domain of approval. and your expertise. Yeah, yes, trusting exactly. someone else to do something that you're going to submit as your own. So that was like a process of just even allowing anybody else to be involved with anything qualitative. That's uh, probably been one of the hardest things for us too, uh, by the way. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. 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 It's that's everybody that I talk to in terms of whether being an like wanting to be an entrepreneur or that they're still at that solo stage. I was like, listen, there's a lot of other hurdles ahead, but it, the the hardest one is mentally cuz so much about entrepreneurship is just taking pride in what you do. Yeah, and your so, name's on it, your integrity. Yeah, when yeah, you let somebody else do it, like that's, but that's the only way to scale past, you know, to like anything yeah. that's that interesting. You can't but, be an owner operator. So, yeah. No, yeah, you have to open up the trust. So yeah. you uh, you effectively go from, you know, being a you know, <laughs> guy running a, you know, what is your passion in high school to, um, starting to figure out ways to get people to help you so you can take on this larger volume of work. Yep. The guy earlier who's from the Philippines who was on your accountability buddy list, right? Yes. Um, he helps you with processes. Now, what's his background? Yeah, so uh, his name is Grant Mariel. Uh, to this day, he's got like a business podcast and community over in Australia. Um, they're starting to do pretty well and i'm very excited for him but he was the best person i could have ever met at the exact time that i met him it was basically going from just me doing something to hiring people and we just happened to be making friends at that exact point and his mo he was starting he was starting his own company to basically show people how to do like sops like standard operating procedures so the idea of an SOP is imagine you give somebody, let's say, a Google Doc, and they have every instruction in clear as day English in order to perform a task to the level that you would do it, or hopefully at least close to it. Um, but to be able to have everything clearly outlined, not have them come back and ask questions, not have them do things incorrectly. And that means you have to account for everything they could possibly come across. Every variable. Yes. So, you know, thinking about a tree and all the different little branches and limbs, you have to account for all of that, even though most of the time they might be going straight. Like it might be the same thing 70% of the time, but all those 30 other percentage of times where it could be slightly different. You need to think ahead and know what that decision would then be from there. And so he helped me build out this documentation uh, like I'll never forget. It was actually the first time we met in person after we met each other for 
probably we'd known each other for about 18 months and I made a trip over to the Philippines and we just had like this awesome mastermind session for a week and he like drew out to me he's like here's how you have to approach this and think about it so much so to this day a lot of my business friends think of me as the process guy <laughs> and I'm like I meet my grandfather like meet your grandfather it's Grant yeah. Um, well, in, in, Grant the grandfather. In the words of Mortal yeah. Kombat, do you want some more execution? Yeah. <laughs> do you want some hey, more? Do you guys mind if I just uh, step out for the bathroom real quick? Yeah, you go for it. Right. No problem. All right, back. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, for us, that was one of the pivotal conversations I remember having in our relationship. And that was me like the light bulb going off aha in my head and I always had it made up like well we're a consulting firm it's really about our people like how do you scale people sure and then you were like Alan if you do not understand something well enough to write a statement and process you don't understand it and yeah. I was all like speechless because I had no response yeah. processes there's, there's, are and I was yeah. like do I really understand it well enough and like oh, I had true. this epiphany yeah. Yeah, yeah. of like am I really like, am I this good or do I actually not know? I had like this, like a little bit of an existential crisis. And I remember that being the point when I turned up. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's been two existential crises. I think the other one was the question that we had all kind of asked ourselves about a year ago or so. And that one was if you were to, if you were to have to fire yourself and hire your replacement, what are you like? What are the characteristics of that person that you're hiring, and what are they going to do differently than you? And whatever that answer is, that's what you need to start doing. And I think those are the two existential crises because those are the two things, the two concepts that have been talked about the most in our business. And so, ironically, there's a process for launching rockets. It's just a four thousand page book on how to launch a rocket into outer space, but there's a process. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing about the all is we start off blogging me and you to sort of find ourselves and our passions and what we'd like to do. And then I start doing all of these statements of process to like run our business and grow our business and scale our business. And it's working flawlessly. But the irony is the second existential crisis I had with Curtis brought up was if you were going to replace yourself, what, what would your replacement do differently and who do you hire? And I thought to myself, oh, crap. Well, we really don't have like a dedicated marketing department. We need to get back to writing blog posts and organizing our user experience. So I've gone full circle of like writing blog posts, building our authority, you know, building up traction, building up industry credibility. How do I scale and grow the business? Need to write statements of process. Okay, I've written statements of process. How do I grow the business? I need to go back to writing and building great content and producing things and well, thought leadership. And is it, So probably the thing I talk about most with, with my friends and I'm trying to help them think this way in terms of processes and sort of delegating automation is – the things that you choose to automate or delegate first is incredibly important. Yes. And so I've essentially tried to demonstrate to my friends that like I I can I can automate and delegate 98% of my business. And then the last 2%, some of the very high level strategic thinking that I do. It would take so much time to educate somebody on that. It's like the final piece and I don't even I'm not even trying to get to 100%, but I, I don't know. If, I don't know. If, I don't know squeeze. if we had the conversation uh, exactly this, but stop trying to th- like. There's this mindset of 
full automation, full delegation, but realize there are parts like there's a reason why, like, for example, Will Reynolds, Will Reynolds at uh, at Sear Interactive, you know, at one point, I'm sure he had triple digit employees and he was still the guy speaking in conferences, writing blog posts. There were critical parts that he realized, like, OK, I can get to, let's say, 100 employees getting rid of all of this other stuff. But there's still going to be these last couple of things and be really hard to find somebody else to do. And so really, but really understanding what are the hardest parts to teach somebody and or hardest parts to find skills wise and saving those things for last, because I 90 percent of everybody's business or at least a, a large for some for some people it's 99 percent for some people it might be 60 percent. It really depends on what you do. But I would say on average, 90 percent of the business, you can definitely automate and delegate uh, to the point where you're not involved and without. And it, 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 it takes a piece at a time. Like the first piece might be literally like this particular task ends up taking 40% of our time and resources and we could standardize that in like a two-page document. And then maybe like the next thing is like a four-page document for the next 20% and so on and so forth. So um, when it comes to you in terms of writing content all that stuff, that might be the hardest thing for you to find somebody else to do or to teach. But like – I bet you could get rid of other parts of what you're doing, allow you to scale four or five X further. And that's exactly what we've yeah. done because we've given many people in our company the opportunity to publish on our blog. And there's really only like... There's a small handful. There's three people who can do it. And the irony is, you know, the three people who can do it are not the people that you would expect to be able to do it. Yeah. It's a certain kind of scale. And then people who you would expect to be able to do that just absolutely fall flat on their face. Totally. It, 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 and it's like you said, there's, it's the creative process. You can build a process for like what are the steps of the creative process, but when you're in a specific step and you're trying to figure out what's next, you can't teach that. That's intuition, right? And so some people have that intuition, some people don't. And what I yeah. realized was I'm fortunately one of those people that has that level of intuition. And I need to get out of doing tasks that I can hire somebody else to do that they'll have the ability through statements of process or they'll have intuition in, in executing that specific task. And I need to go back to doing what I'm very good at. And the irony was when Curtis asked me that question, he's like, if you were to fire yourself and find your replacement, what would your replacement look like and what would they do first? Yeah. Personally, I have no plan for that. I, I have a lot of fallback plans, but if I die, I'm like... Who cares? <laughs> well, this is interesting. So it, you, it so was more of a thought-provoking question. It's a great thought-provoking question. Because, yeah. because when you're running your business, it really just kind of gives you that time to step aside and say, if I had to put my replacement in here, what do I need this person to be doing? And it's really just a hard, honest look at yourself. And so to validate your point, John, about... There's you got to automate where you can and be human where it counts. It's that's really that's what we say. That's in relation to what you're saying. And the level of expertise you need to have in order to get that last five percent. We've as people have joined our business and they've proven themselves and we could see the way they think and we get to know them more and more. And there's a relationship there as well. We're starting to let them access some of those five percent things and then give them a seat at the table when we're having certain kinds of discussions where we can then test the waters with them and really get an understanding and vetting. This is really more so true on Wally's and my side to understand, Hey, are they actually capable talent to be able to be in that 5% arena? Because there's only a small percent of people because it's not, 
it's really easy to get in and take some action, but in getting in and taking some action, you could really mess a lot of things up. And so it's how calculated are you in those 5% of the things and mm -hmm. what are you doing and what are you thinking? And to the point about blog posts, blog posts really are the same thing as journaling or things of the sort. And a lot of times if I have this idea that's in my head or if Alan has this idea that's in his head and we are like, oh my gosh, I have this wealth of knowledge and information. I don't really know that there's a lot of information out there and I've looked for it. I can't really find much. We'll take the time to go and write a blog post and we'll do 10 iterations of it. Like get our thoughts out, come back, refine, refine, add some more, refine, adjust, refine, boom, publish. And that's really where we get our best blog posts. And they're not these things that are coming from, oh, I have this content architecture. I need to follow things of the sort. We just find gaps. Yeah, and gaps that would exist out there. But that's from doing our jobs, right? Yeah. And so I think one of the ways that, you know, I've been um, really uh, fortunate is to have Curtis and Wally here because as I've gone through the ups and downs, similar to what you've gone through, you know, I've always sort of had them to lean back on. And, you know, it's always like if I don't have a lot of motivation, it's like, oh, well, I can't let Curtis and Wally down. Or, you draw, know? or draw inspiration. But yeah. then also you get you get it from us and we get it from you. Absolutely. It, it, it's it's definitely. But I was circular. circling back to like, yeah. for example, your case, you're just by yourself. Yeah. So you, you started growing the business and scaling the business largely through statements of process and making sure that you could put people in the right places to do their jobs and you could train them well. How did that change your relationship with the work that you were doing? Oh, it was just gradual. It was just letting go and realizing. I think someone told me at some point that, like, if other people can do 70% as good of a job as you can, then, like, that's good enough. And that bar is different for everybody. Um, but I just got to a point where, you know, ideally, like, the best way to think about it is you should hire somebody to do something that's just better at you than it. Um but always hire smarter. Yeah, exactly. And not ever. It's not always easy to do. No, it's but, not. But when it's when you have the opportunity, they're so hard to find. For sure, yeah. we have recruiting in house. Yeah, because it's ta good talent is so hard to find. We we found a couple of really good, awesome people. Yeah, I got a nuclear engineer turned computer scientist. <laughs> That's true. So math, math, math is easy. Yeah, I mean, so I basically at the most scaled point of operations, I would the one talking to the client and I would filter for clients that have to be hands-off like if they want to talk to me every week like I'm not doing that um, the campaign ideas just like how are we going to get them featured on the web and they'd have to fit into one of the three or four ways that we typically get people linked to across the web so we would not even take on every single project like we had a, min a minimum budget of four thousand dollars a month when I started and so first off, they had to be able to spend at least that. And then I had to find some way that we could scale to getting enough links that that one idea could keep us running for at least like a year or two. Oh, OK. Um, so it's basically I'm going to always be the idea guy. But once I had the idea, I could pass that off to my team and they could do all of the execution. So never at any point. And that could have scaled. That could have scaled to like ten million dollars a year plus. Um, it it still limited us a little bit because, for example, like a client might have a lot of budget, and there might be a lot of different ways to get links. But if every idea only lasted for three months and we're constantly shifting, like I wouldn't take it on. I, it was more of a they need to have a campaign idea that we can scale and that can keep us going for long enough. Then I'll have to like re-enter the fray and rethink it. Um, 
And so there's parameters around it. And so it basically meant that even the people who had budget or 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 could somewhat do the ideas that we do best, like we didn't take them all on. That ended up working on our favorite a little bit because it felt more selective. Yeah. And so people and even big clients have wanted to work with you like, hey, look, like it's just not gonna fit well for us. And exactly. That, not that it pissed them off, but like there's a level of exclusivity to it. For sure. And to where you had gotten with your link building business, you know, talk to us about some of the successes you've had with, say, some of your better clients and how you were able to come up with some good ideas. But then also talk to us about some of your failures as well. For sure. No, totally. So I guess the thing that I found out over the course of five years I didn't really immediately realize is so um, when I started the agency, it was just because I just didn't want to like really – to it at scale like it just wasn't I was more interested in just like talking about it and doing a little bit of consulting on the side but I was getting hit up so many times and I just had like nobody to refer people to because I was like there's just not many companies that do really good work here I was like alright I guess it's finally time for me to do it and so I just picked a couple so that list of tactics I had of how to get links across the web how to get mentioned probably 150 to 200 of them now only by probably a dozen of them were like scalable enough to be applicable to like at least 10% of companies out there and so we just picked a couple of them that would cover like probably 40% of, of industries and types of companies. Um, and through that process. So you knew your target market. And you exactly. It, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so in terms of successes was it was choosing a couple particular tactics that we could do really well. And I realized as I grew that the other companies that were really good that I would refer people to if we couldn't do the work also did that. So there's another company called Fractal, and they still do work today. And they had a very specific way, at least at the time that I met them, of doing these big, giant content pieces and then getting them mentioned on, like, major publications. And sort of the approach was just like, okay, we'll do, like, three of these pieces, and one of them will go viral. I believe I believe that was sort of their pitch at the time. It's probably changed, so um, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing these days, but... That was them. I was like, I'm going to get you mentioned on university and government websites uh, and then like public entities like libraries. And so approaching them on getting mentioned on an existing page of information that was already listing off resources for that particular subject area. Like that was a very different style of of reaching out and trying to make that happen versus trying to get covered in a newspaper when they're publishing a new yeah, article. You, yeah, Shout out here because yeah. there's a very good piece of information you were improving somebody else's experience on their site by providing something highly relevant to whatever that piece of content was. That they sure, had. yeah. And yeah. so let's also think about this. You were writing highly relevant content for people out on the, or on the web looking for answers to questions. And so when we get back to the business model, if, if you're a young entrepreneur and you're looking to do something, the goal, the tactics, the strategies, when you have the time to figure this out, mm -hmm. is how are you going to improve somebody's experience of either searching for information and finding an answer, or in your case, providing a service to improve somebody else's experience on their sites while getting to charge somebody else for that that money. Sure. Um, yeah. Wild. Still improving the web. Wild. Yeah. And yeah. so what do your parents I, I think mean, of all this? Because yeah, your parents, like you said, are a Quaker and a nurse. Your mom's a nurse. Yeah. What do, you, what do your parents say when you go, I am dropping out of school at... XYZ University, I believe, is Florida State. And I'm going to go build links on the internet. University of Florida. University that of Florida. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Huge difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were UCF. So right? I just hung out with FSU kids all, all this all weekend, or FSU men all weekend. And uh, I think you got it right. A little kids, triggered. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to degaterize you. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So what did what, your parents think of this? 
I love my parents because uh, I don't know if there's anything I could tell them they wouldn't like support me through, but I knew I was pushing the limit with not doing school just because, uh, yeah, my dad's pretty traditional on go to college, get your degree, work for a good company, work your way up, have a normal career. And so he was hesitant at first. He went outright telling me this is a giant mistake, John, you're making. But a year or two into that process, I had made, I'd shown enough validation that he kind of relaxed his he shoulders a bit. And he's like, okay, all right. I That's guess, ironic. That was, I guess he's got something going. That was you also made some money. my same yeah. experience. Not only did I lose a job serving tables questionably while going to school, but then I got a job at Wells Fargo as a private banker, and they were going to pay for me to go to school. And I had a degree, uh, AS in econ. And my mom is all like, great, so you're taking that job. And I'm like, nope, I'm working for the locksmith down the street. And then, (laughs) (laughs) right? And then it's like eight steps down. Wally and I (laughs) team up, and Wally's like, I got this thing, you know, let's do this. And, you know, we'll we'll get Curtis involved somehow, some way, right? So I got all this questionable stuff going on. Wally, unfortunately, his boss at the time had gotten sued for a lot of money. So Wally lost his job working on like an R&D project. And then... Uh yeah, we convinced Curtis to to quit his job and drop out of school, and then I drop out of school. The best part, is and we're his, still living at home with wait, mom yeah, and dad. Yeah, are are we all dropouts? Yeah, the, no. So, so Alan and I at some point degrees. we were all yeah, dropouts. Yeah, yeah at yes. some point. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You did finish school. Um, I did. Yeah. I only took a shout out, mom. I did that for you. Yeah, but also, I mean, you know, you know, dropping out of school and he's hanging, you know, sixty thousand dollars checks above his uh, yeah his bed at night. Yeah. So you know, there, there's a level of hey. We're doing some pretty yes, cool stuff. Yes, but on here. the road to sixty thousand dollars checks, it was, it was only like it was hard. It was hard. It was hard. It was there was there were five and ten thousand dollars checks. But my point no, no, was, no, of course, I'm just saying, living at home. My dad goes, okay, you got to pay rent. Not only am I dropping out of school, and I'm going to ruin my life, but I'm going to ruin my brother's life. He had to drop Let's out of school. Bring them all in. And out of all three kids in the family, Curtis had the best grades, right? Yeah, and so my mom was all like, oh, and so I feel like I'm just living in this box of stress because I feel like I have to prove myself, right? And so I, I know that exact feeling that you were going through where you were like, for two years, until I could prove so it to my So we sell a $15,000 website, do a bunch of SEO work for garage door repair companies. <laughs> Lock, locksmith is Buddy, who <laughs> yes. does a bunch of work down in Southern California, all the high-end bougiers. And it worked for like a year and like a year and two months. Yeah. You know, yeah. you talked about some successes. All right, let's talk about some of the failures. Failures. Um, I have a lot of them. It's just uh, my mind's pretty good at blocking them out sometimes oh. um, and focusing on the good oh. things. But That's uh, a great thing he, to he talk ma- about. Yes. How, do you, how do you block out oh, failures? Okay. I mean, one big failure was I partnered with four people before one of them ended up being an actually successful business. Uh, so during, so I launched this agency and link building agency, right? Yeah. This SEO agency. And I really took pride in what I did. I was like, I'm really good at getting people to rank really highly at on Google for these things. And we had had a couple just like glimpses into the value I was actually creating. So at the time I just know like someone's willing to pay me to do this. Mm-hmm. And I would do it for that amount of money. Like that's more than like you know that's that's a good amount of money. And then I had a couple like glimpses behind the curtains of exactly what that was being used to create, and it ended up being multiples more money. And then I was like, oh shit. Well, and some of the some of the clients I had were 
doing things that were way more than just marketing. So let's say if, if you're an e-commerce company, if you're producing a physical product, okay, part of it is definitely like doing marketing. But part of it is like you have to make this thing. You have to like ship it. Like there's so many other parts. So if your marketing amplifies your business, that doesn't necessarily you – you could do the same thing. Like if they make toothpaste, like you have to figure out how to make toothpaste even if you're good at marketing toothpaste. And, and support it during the lifetime of it. And, yeah. I mean years down the road for parts. I mean tens of years. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there were definitely some clients yeah. we had that were like, okay, like I, I might be helping them make more money, but there's so many other things they had figured out. But then there were some clients – that all they did were throwing up just like informational articles on a website, and that was the whole thing. And then it's really the majority of the business was the marketing of it, and that's what we were doing. And I would see them and be like, all right, if there's like a pie chart of like all the parts involved to like make a million dollars in this industry, I was like, some of these are as high as like 70 to 80% were like basically SEO. And so we had a couple of those clients. I had one client. At one point, a little bit further down the line, that was like the real, just like light bulb went off. Yeah, uh, we we had a client that was paying us like ten to fifteen grand a month. Um, one of our biggest clients at the time, and we helped them rank pretty highly for uh, a pretty substantial keyword. And they were just an informational website. There was there was nothing behind the scenes. It was just a couple of writers throwing together content, and they exited for like mid seven figures and if you look through like all the seo work done it was like mostly us and so i was like so we definitely made a few hundred thousand dollars but they made five to six million dollars and 70 percent of the work was us yeah that that's happened to us what's the golden rule cost money to make make money money. exactly we've had a couple of those where thirty thousand dollar jobs turn into three hundred million dollars of payout exactly Um, yeah and to this day, I'm super yeah. grateful that she hired us. Like, I would have never made that money without her. But it was like, again, it was a glimpse behind the curtain. And so, anyway, so within three or four years of doing agency work, I was like, I'm ready to like launch websites in certain industries where as much of the pie is what we do. So I wasn't trying to do e-commerce companies. I wasn't trying to do these fancy service businesses. But I was like, they're, Mo- they're Mo- like- mommy blogs. <laughs> I mean, anything, you're just doing information and there's referring people to products or services so there's yeah. there's two sort of terms for it so there's affiliates um and so let's say if there's a mommy blog and he tells you to buy this like pot or pan on amazon and she links to it with a referral link she yeah. is an affiliate of amazon yeah and well, she makes well, five percent of that well yeah, he did that I, I, for I'm, a long I'm an associate, time yeah exactly yeah. okay cool so and then there's other there's other types of businesses very similar called like lead generation where it's like I am referring people to a guy who installs garage doors and I get a kickback of like every job I refer. Um, and so there were these websites online that were like nerd wallet is a very good example. It's probably one of the biggest ones out there. Basically a billion dollar, just like affiliate lead gen site that was essentially built by SEO. Um, like that was most of what it took for that to become a thing. Now to this day, I'm sure they're doing like a lot of like their own in-house financial type services, but it started off as just like some guy really knew how to do SEO and he just chose a great industry, a very competitive industry to do it and do it well. And so I looked for those opportunities and I partnered with three or four people in the first three. Uh, yeah, I didn't choose my partners carefully or one of them, I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame. Like I thought I could rank in this industry and it was really tough. And then there was one guy who was just... Yeah, he he was doing the financial side of it. It was a drop shipping website, and uh, a year and a half, and I realized we actually had racked up thirty thousand dollars in debt without him telling me. And the moment I learned that, I was like, "Shut it down!" 
Yeah. Like, I can't trust you. Like, so I'm out. a lot of failures with just like lot very green eyes of like anything can happen. And then luckily, luckily to this day, um, my business partner, Marty, on one of the websites I own and operate, he was the perfect partner. We had the perfect industry. Um, and that was the first success of launching a website that is now my own. So it's basically my marketing people like. Uh, instead of me handing them a project that's for a client, just scribble out the name client and put in like our own website's name and they would do John the exact Co- same work. John Cooper LLC number one. John, John Cooper, Cooper LLC, LLC number two. two. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And so that started the transition away from doing agency services to now uh, building brands for yourself. 70 to 80% of what I do is essentially, yeah, websites that we own and operate. Um, so, yeah, but and, let's, and, let's and talk about this too because I feel like yeah. there's a piece in there that might be a little bit misleading. Um, most of your work right now you're doing on building your own sites, but your revenue, what is that transition from services to asset ownership and development look like? So, you know, what amount of your revenue did you focus on over time? Because I, I think about it like this. If somebody's starting a services-based business, you know, everybody in the world is going to say, oh, you don't want a service-based business. You There's can't no sell value. it for a lot of money. There's yeah. no value. But the thing is, the service-based businesses can be cash cows. That's, right? uh, every service-based business I've seen that's done correctly, it's a money-printing machine. Yeah, but the problem is, is nobody values that there's that consistent cash flow, right? Yeah. And all they're looking for is spreadsheet it's magic. It's a high-paying job. That's always what I thought of it. It's like, no right. matter yeah. how much money yeah. this makes, it's still a job. Like, I, I want something that a cruise value they can sell for higher multiples Correct. that I can package up and sell. I could never package up and sell my agency because no. I was still the idea guy at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, you, are and you, could never, you could never completely get rid of it. And this isn't the point that I was bringing up here, mm-hmm. okay? So you, everybody everybody tells you that. So you start to transition to building these products. How much of your revenue right now in terms of percent comes from services or comes from asset ownership with websites it's 50 50 it, it should have been 100 zero like i'm i was meant to get out of the agency stuff but i've got basically one essentially client that just kept having higher and higher budgets and i was like i'm, I'm not gonna say no to this yeah and you've had okay, perfect. I'm, I'm not gonna so, talk about some of your clients but i know some of them and most people have their apps on on their phones like those are some of your yeah. clients and oh oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. our biggest client is see ads for them on TV all the time. A hundred percent. Now let's also talk about that transition there. So when you uh, started on, to on, build assets, on. I had a, I, I have a question that I wanted to ask and it was in relation to what do you think some of the, and it, it has to come before going further down the road where you're going. What do you think are some of the good characteristics of a bad business? I'm sorry. What do you think are good characteristics of a good business partner in comparison to a bad business partner? Because a lot of people out there, might be thinking, hey, I want to go into business with my best friend or, or this person that I know or one of my family members. Pay, pay for a background check, see if they've committed fraud in the past. Or gone bankrupt. Yeah. Or, or a, 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 a lot of times, <laughs> your business partners that you're going to business with, you have a relationship with them. So let's talk about some of the key characteristics that you would look for having had three failures and one success. Oh, good in question. In yeah. a bus- potential business partner. Totally. I would say, ideally, it's three things one of them is integrity as, yeah. as you mentioned that yeah. one's a universal thing yeah i think the other thing yep. is the next most important thing would probably be has entirely different skills than you very important yes so at one point in time he wasn't a success or failure but a close friend of mine who has started and has a very successful digital marketing agency 
there was a period of like three months back in like 2013 or 2014 where we talked about partnering. And he is also a specialist in the exact area that I'm a specialist in. So it felt like we were like the two, like two of the five guys at the time that like were featured the most for this. This were, were considered like as big of experts as there was. Yeah, we t- two white knights right into exactly. Yeah. And so like yeah. to this day, I'm grateful that we didn't. And like he's done so without me that I'm like I probably would have held him back. But at the same time, like we didn't bring other things. Like we brought the exact same thing to the table. You brought the same school of thought. Yeah, yeah. you had your own confirmation. Bias. Exactly. So <laughs> yes. that would have not worked out. So that would have been another failure if if that had happened. But uh, ultimately, what what Marty and I have gelled so well on is so it's a the website we started is like a real estate listing website it's a very like niche real estate listing website and so he had the background in real estate so he had the experience in the industry um, he'd already built a website similar to this on the back end side uh, in terms of what goes into that and he was wired he's just a wired very differently than me and then he also just has a very different personality than me so we it was like just a class. It's like getting married. It's like it's like a, you want someone to kind of you know. They're your work. They're your work spouse. Yeah, he's my work spouse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that was it. I, I I only found that out through trial and error. I was just saying yes to every opportunity, <laughs> and like I wasn't like thinking about it. It was just like the fourth time it finally worked out. Yeah. It's it's really funny that you give those answers because when I think about our relationships, uh, it, it, there's three of them here. There's Wally's and Allen's, Wally's and mine, and mine and Allen's and mine and Wally's. Wow. That's four. I think that's four. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool what he John. I like that. Five, because it's all of ours as one. Uh, And and yeah, five of you include producer Scott. So when you add everything together, we had to learn. I think it's three. Wally on Curtis, Whack Attack, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) When we, it's so funny when you think like you have the the number in your head, but you're actually talking like, wow, I should have done that math earlier. Anyway, it's five. So Wally and I have had to learn, like there's a handoff in domain expertise and where your real where your real interest and knowledge lie and where there's correlation and relation but not expertise and there's a lot of that like there's this Venn diagram overlap of Wally and I where like we meet in the middle and we're both passionate about these things and then in his area of expertise my area of expertise they're highly related but they're highly focused away from each other at the but, same time but if he has a if he even has 1% extra added on to solving something better than me it's stupid if i was to take that on if he's going to give a better analysis but you're aware of that i am being aware of that super important so so having those handshakes and so is he where he will he'll pass stuff like just as a confirmation hey just double check you know what i mean and and that's really important it's just it's it's not that you can't do something it's just saying hey like i have this person i'm just going to have them vet this because this is what they do all the time or they're going to have me do it and vice versa. It's and Al and I, the same thing. And Wally and Alan, the same thing. And then together as a unit, we know when we make business decisions that we look at it from a couple of different areas. Alan brings his things to the table. I bring my things to the table. Wally brings his things to the table. And then we assess like who actually has the most relevance and value for what they're saying and how do these things compete or relate and work with each other. And that's how we make decisions. And the guy who was our mentor, his name is Cliff. He he told us he's like you only get two things your time and your integrity and if you mess up your integrity you spend all your time trying to fix it and so having integrity is really important none of us have frauded or lied to or done things maliciously to the other that the other one's found out about no, no. <laughs> yeah no, yeah, and, no and, we're and, we're pretty we're and, very transparent and, and we there's go, no hooks I, here to I hang out on homie sorry yeah, I go out of my way <laughs> to make sure that if I see if I identify something I'm like hey guys you should 
do this, be more secure or whatever. We're always sharing information back and forth. It's never yeah. a, it's never really a competition, even though sometimes between them it is. But the three of us, we, <laughs> we, we, we are we are really moving as a, a holistic unit. Yeah, let's talk about that, John. How fucking lucky are we? Your three things for hiring a good hold on, partner hold on, were pat yourself integrity. On the bat for for giving yourself a compliment. How lucky are we? <laughs> well, I was about to say. I was about to say it. It the testament and the reason I believe you and it's so easy to take your word for all that stuff is because, like, the truest test is time. And it's been like what is it like a decade? Twelve years. Twelve years. So like those things we've, would we've have really come out and disrupted about it. Four. If you guys were like yeah. year two and you guys were like, yeah, we've. Like all these things, we definitely have down, and we've got figured out. I'd be like, there's still like probably peaks and valleys that you guys haven't. You've, you guys have basically been through it all at this point. Yeah, so I, don't, I, think, I think it speaks yeah. for itself. Yeah, and the key thing, and that's why we decided to finally do this podcast. We, you know, over the twelve years, we've all had our integrity tested. We've all had our different domain areas of expertise tested because we are we all three do not play in the same domains. We are. Owners in totally wholly different domains, and we refer to each other for expertise. And then the third piece is, you know, the rapport that we have with each other. I mean, we've known Wally since first grade, second grade. Obviously, Curtis and I are twins, so we have a very special, unique relationship. Sorry, Wally, that you have to deal with that. <laughs> and <Welcome> uh, <laughs> and you know, for us, it's it's worked out. And we thought that every type of partnership we would be able to operate in would be like that. And uh, we took a government service contract. All right, we took a government software company and we partnered up with a guy who came referred from somebody we thought was good. And it turned out to be a total fairy. This guy couldn't get anything done. He did not have the pool he thought he had. And at the end of the day, he didn't have any ability to really contribute. And so for us, it was like we wrote off $650,000. Between, between a half a million and a million dollars. Yeah. yeah in in oh. costs that I could reasonably account for to this thing. We built a SaaS company and uh, for managing public records requests for uh, government agencies. And what we came to find out is, A, the industry was terrible, like you talked about earlier. We should have never got into that industry. We didn't know it well enough. And B, the guy that we partnered up with, it was just so terrible. And so when you're talking about advice for young entrepreneurs, besides write about what you're passionate about, find a way to build a brand around you and you know attract people with that, the second piece is as you attract people and you start talking about partners and you start to build out other assets for you that generate money, those are really important, important lessons to learn because we haven't learned the lesson of bad partnerships with each other. We've learned it with two. Uh, one, we're still in, but the other one, you know, we're we're out of now. And we've, we've learned what to look for in those two different yes. ventures, right? And so, man, just so lucky, you know, that I've had and Curtis and Wally. We've also know. gone through about, what, 12 companies, uh, almost 15 companies in the last 14 to 15 yeah. years. Only a few of them have been successful. And the I other mean, ones have been learning. Yeah, yeah, learnings. But also, I mean, we, we've gone through this. And, it, and it's really hard, too, because I put my life and soul into that product. And we made a great product. We, we came out of fucking nowhere. I mean, the leader in the space, we showed up at a trade show and they're like, who are you guys? And then they saw our product and they're like, oh, that was me. I was shit. like, who are you guys? And mm-hmm. and so that happened, but it was still our biggest failure. We made an amazing product, biggest failure. Yeah. I, I will throw this out there. You did have a target on your yeah. logo. I mean, yeah, the target was on your back, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I had to, well, I okay. So it's like, because, yeah. There you go. Yeah. You got, you said, how many companies? 12? 
I think we've done about twelve in the last. That makes yeah. that's a mix of. We're talking all of. You, we're, all of we're not our talking corporate structures. No, no. Yeah, yes, your golf, today, real estate websites. You know, all, all the EDC blog, they, they the yeah. yeah, Project Greenhost, yeah, yeah. Anon, yeah. Morthix. So, so something I realized that I didn't realize how much I have in common with you, and something that is an assumption that we all make in this at this table that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. A lot of people might really stake their pride on the first business they try at, yes. and it might really kill them if it doesn't work out. It's and hard. Number two, like it, it takes regrouping for some. For me, I would be unfit. Like I would still try to like learn the lesson, but I would be unfit. I've started. I've made. I've made money in twenty different ways. I've gotten a dollar in like twenty different ways. I've even the websites I've launched. Like I was just talking this weekend with some people about it. And I was like, yeah, I launched twelve sites. Um, three of them are worth anything. A couple I just sold for parts, basically. The other six are just lying in a ditch on the side of the highway. And <laughs> if I like took so to heart every time something I had an ID on that didn't succeed, if I needed if I needed a lot of time to regroup, if my pride was hurt, like that would have taken me. I would be like halfway on my mm-hmm. journey as, uh, as so I think just for you guys so, as well, like if you failed at 12, 15, knowing how old you guys are that means like you guys fail a lot and if you guys needed a lot of time in between things you guys wouldn't be nearly as far as you okay are. hold on hold on hold on <clears throat> what you just described is three ventures yeah so three ventures was just the three of us on our third business venture and we were just hustling to figure out ways to make a dollar on the internet and provide a good experience or good service to people we had so many failures it's because we, because we all had these, to all these brands along the way and things that we built that were failures. They were just built, managed, and started by three ventures. And then once we had a couple successes, what really happened is we found comfort and we found success in our brand because our brand represented all of our failures before it ever represented a single success. Yep. And the irony is now we sell our knowledge to our clients and help them build things from all of our failures. So all of our failures is how we make money. Yeah, the, the, it's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. You know, John, we don't really like to bring up a lot of statistics, but when we helped a company make four hundred thousand dollars more a month just in revenue on our first big project that we ever got a crack at, this was almost that, ten years th- ago. That now. was a thirty to three hundred million, like that, thirty thousand dollars a month in. Yeah, they ended up paying us like three hundred sixty thousand dollars, right, for the year. We yeah yeah, and, and they ended up and exited because of the. IP I want to say created. they exited. Somewhere like quarter billion. No, 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 no. I want to say they they exited on yeah. a valuation higher. I want to say they exited like you know mid eight figures higher because of the work we helped them do. And don't get me wrong, they had a great company and nine, they had all the pieces, and nine? we totally respect yes, that and we totally yeah, see that. Nine. But our point here is. Dude, it was like a light bulb went off. The light bulb goes off. I'm still in college. I'm not sleeping on Tuesday hey, nights. Yeah, he, he was still right. Actually these guys, these guys are like he picked up a client out of San Jose in the Bay Area. Alan's writing blog posts. Alan's helping out with the analytics on this client. He's also helping out with some of the ads. We basically turned this thing on. No other consultant would take this on. We sat in a boardroom for a year and a half straight and banged our head against the wall with leadership there. Which, by the way, it was. Some of them were really nice to work with, and others of them, like, we got a, a lesson in communication and emotional intelligence for how to work with people. Well and said. <laughs> well said. 
we turn this a thing on. A dozen. And it's literally, <laughs> it's like the weight comes off our shoulders. You guys are like, we, we can do this. We can do this for other people. Holy shit. But they had a cash cow business and we just optimized the cash cow business for them. And it took off and it took off and it took off and it and took now off. They had a cash farm. Instead of yeah. it was a cash cow, we turned it into a farm. So yeah. we multiplied so the cows. When you, when, <laughs> when, when you, and I mean, they had some people there that were, we weren't in the day to day operations. We were doing things for them. So we are a part of the group doing those things. When it comes to what you're talking about, where it's like, hey, some shit's dead on the side of the road. I think the hardest thing in for anybody who has had failures in the past, you know, the failures tend to stack on you all at one time too. So like, for example, not only did I stop competing in CrossFit, a plug that I do CrossFit, ta-da, uh, <laughs> and not only did our software, our SaaS product fail because of pension obligations and us, us not being able to get our first year's worth of contracts, and on top of moving back to California, like my life just got unearthed from me. Everything that I had spent two years doing, well, more than that for training and a couple other things, like it just got wiped off. It's like a brand new clean slate. It felt like I failed when I really didn't fail. Totally. To an, an nth degree. And that's a really hard thing to turn around from. I struggled a lot with that. Um, and I think that, you know, you've, you may have struggled with some of those things and Alan and Wally have, you may, maybe struggled with failures, but you have to find a way to get through those things because it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows with what no. it is that you're doing. In your Sometimes 20s, it's just a stroke of genius and luck. If you have the opportunity to start a business in your 20s and you can do it with the help of the internet and you can find good people, mm -hmm. touche you guys, to do it with, your 20s, in my opinion, are about failing as quickly and as much as possible because what's going to happen is you're – a, you're going to get to learn along the way, and that's invaluable. You will have so much learning, so much faster than anybody else. The it, second thing is you're for, you're bound to stumble across. If you're resilient and you, resiliency, yeah, right, and it helps you build up the resilient if you, resiliency. Yeah. If you're resilient in that three to five year range, you're going to find something. In that five to seven year range, you're going to find something even better. Yep. And that it, seven like to ten year it's like range, gotta, it's like muscles. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta rip right. those muscles, make them stronger. Those are that the iteration cycles. Right. And it's so, and that 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 information is so, 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 so valuable because even through those failures, you're investing in yourself and that knowledge. And you know, that's honestly, I'm so proud of you with everything you've done because you've done this all largely by yourself and then just being able to pick up the Solo phone door. to, yep. you know, have accountability buddies. And so that's largely where I think you started traveling around the world, right? And going and seeing all these people like, you know, you're on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast, right? So I got opportunities to speak at conferences with the blog and I, and I did those just for fun. It ended up being extremely valuable down the line for meeting people and also getting business. But ultimately, yeah, I spoke in over a dozen countries over the course of like, it was like three or four intense years. Basically, once the blog got sold, people stopped finding me because they were just like, whoever wrote this, let's get them to speak. But through that, yeah, um, I did I did, a, I did a few interesting trips. I did one was like, I did private workshops in London and Warsaw with these like really closed sessions. I actually made money doing it. All the other things I just did for free and for fun, I was like, just pay my ticket and I'll show up. And I'll, I'm, I'm doing this just because I think it's so fun to talk about but I did some private workshops. I actually made a bunch of clients through that, even though I was getting paid. And then the probably the crown jewel of all of that stuff was one of the last times I spoke. I keynoted a conference in Denmark 
which I thought was insane. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm the specialist. I like do one particular part of one. I'm not the guy to be like, I'm going to be some high level strategic marketing, you know, ways to think about 20, like 18. Or um, I think that that's, that's so important. So that gets you on this sort of travel bug and this travel high, mm-hmm. you know, that you've done. So walk us through how all of this travel around the world, you're meeting people, you're meeting people who are in your accountability group that, you know, they hold you accountable you fly out, you talk to them when you need some motivation. Walk us through what that last, uh, you know, like the last four or five years have looked like from you from scaling the agency to sort of figuring out what comes next. Yeah. For you. So, I mean, I stopped. COVID was a big just kind of like full stop moment, but I was sort of winding down doing the speaking stuff. To be honest, like I had that that drive and passion for what I did for six, seven years. But I got to a point where, okay. The financial side of it was like really coming through. I was making pretty good money. I was able to remove myself from my business for the most part. And, you know, I was just able to pick my head up. Like I had solved this puzzle and it was so fun when I was younger because I had never solved a puzzle that actually had any meaning. Everything in school was just simulations. <laughs> this was like real, like this is actually going to do with, something. With little applicability sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. And so I finally like cracked this. And, you know, I'm sure as everybody has seen is that there are correlations between happiness and money, but only up to a certain amount of money. So it's like 80 to to $100,000 a year or something like that. And so once you cross over that threshold, like for me, I wasn't like, okay, I want to keep scaling this so that I can, you know, own yeah. a jet and, you know, a mansion in Beverly Hills or something like that. So I got to a comfortable place and uh, sort of at that point is when I sort of started to kind of fall less in love with what I was doing and... The speaking, the main reason I spoke was because I was so jazzed about what I was doing. I was so jazzed just to share my ideas and talk about it. You with woke people. up with purpose every day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that started to fade 2018, 2019 was sort of the tail end. And then the blog got sold at the end of 2017, early 2018. So I was getting less people reaching out proactively to me. Do you think that was the downfall then, of your motivation? Um, no, I think it was just it was correlative. I think I think if I still held the blog and I still got the speaking gigs, I think I might have done it for a little bit longer, but right. like I just wouldn't have been as But twenty twenty hit and they went black at SEO with virology and COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. Black at SEO with virology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can we can say that now because it's been confirmed. Um and so COVID hits. You said it's kinda like full stop when COVID hits. So walk us through things at that point. Yeah, so when I started the agency, it was in Gainesville, Florida, and I hired a bunch of college students. And on our peak, we had like 20 to 25 in that office. And then I got kind of bored of Gainesville. And in 2017, I moved to Orlando. And I just wanted to be close enough that I could still drive to the office. But after I moved to Orlando, I started hiring remote. And then by about 2019, 20, yeah, probably about late 2019, I realized like almost all my staff was all over the place. So therefore, I was no longer geographically tied to Central Florida. And COVID hit and right before COVID. I actually like had this trip to Austin, which is where, um, you know, you reside now. Exactly. That's where I live now. Um, and one of my biggest clients and, uh, closest friends lived there. And it was like the third or fourth time I went and I just had a blast again. And I was just like, Dude, I love Austin. I want to move somewhere. Like I can move anywhere now. And I'm finally with my eyes. And I had this trip in like right before COVID started. And I was like, this is it. Well, so I just- anyways, Moved to Austin, and that was sort of, sort of also a critical point in time where I I kind of realized the big part of my motivation 
really started when I got rejected from all those schools and then also proving something to my parents. My parents never really challenged me. So, like, it's nothing on them. Like, I moved in July of 2020. And so it was like I had to, like, wait six months to basically make friends. Um, The only thing I could really do was, like, online dating by, like, the end of 2020. Like, that was becoming a little more kosher. So it was basically, like, developing a normal social group. It was, like, a delayed thing. Um, But essentially... So, like, an important part that kind of coincided with that is the fact that, like, at least on the business stuff, I I reached the point where I'd basically realized – I didn't realize until it was over – was that I had this drive to basically poop, prove these imaginary people wrong, whether it was, like, these fictional people inside of a college room deciding who's going to get into the school or not, whether it's anybody at any point that said anything that was less than 100% sure I was going to do it. Your mom's um, alter ego. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and they were, again, they were so supportive. Like, they they were amazingly supportive. But I, I'd reached a point in, like, 2019, 2020 to where I realized, I was like, you did it. Like, I'm basically financially secure for the rest of my life, and it's not an actively ongoing thing. I scaled myself down to five hours a week of work. Um, in a business that was doing high five figures a month at the time in profit. And I had always told myself that like, okay, you're going to do this because like, you know, you had the drive and passion to do it, but also because like, I don't know why I had this like message I would tell myself throughout college because college is when I worked my hardest. And I didn't make the most progress, but like back then, like you're just, it's all effort. Like, and you learn how to like over time, like do things more efficiently. You just learn how to grind it out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I had, I had these, I had these days in college, everyone else is partying. I'm going into my own office. My own employees didn't even see me that much. I'd go in at like 3 PM and I'd work to like 4 AM. And then I would just wake up and basically do the same thing every day. Dude, I, we slept um, at the office a couple we, years. We yeah. slept at the office. You're making Wally times. happy because Wally's a night owl. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. do it anymore, but like I did that for years. Sometimes it's the best way of just getting shit done without distractions. Yes. No, I know. My whole team just means I was like, I feel like like more creative when I don't have There's people watching. Me. And I didn't know how to be a boss. That. Like I. I, I didn't know how to act as a boss, so I was like, if I'm just not there when they're not See, there, and me, then this I know is how easiest. to do that. That's why I'm like, motherfuckers need to be here in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, I've, I have a little more idea of how to be a boss, but I, ne- I never had a traditional job, so like, I I did not learn. I just kind of like did it kind of immediately. But anyways, like, so yeah, I had this like real drive and passion to do something. I realized I'd kind of proved that I could succeed, and I'd always told myself throughout this college process that while everybody else is partying. Like, they're having the best four years of my life. Well, I'm setting myself up to have the best 40 years of my life. That Correct. was, like, my little mantra in my we, mind. We, we, we had that have similar a, We mantra. have a very similar thing. Yeah. yeah. So I pulled yeah. it off, and then around 2020, I realized, like— But we partied for two years from 18 to 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we also had I'm a, honestly having the party time, like, at this yeah. point. I'm at what people are doing in college, and I'm trying to responsibly, and I realize, like, you know, there's certain environments where, like, I'm, I shouldn't be here. I'm, I'm Adults are yeah, just kids with money. Again, um, you spend a, few, you spend a few, few years of your life like most people won't, so you can spend the uh, rest of your life like most people can't. That's so much better than what I said. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is kind of what you, you have this level of uncomfortability for a little bit, but then you... Do what others can. And, it, and, it, yes. and it's hard because those are the most energetic, active, young, and fun, carefree years of your life. Like, let's not confuse that. If you get... Totally. Like if from, I realized that at the time, to, I might have done things differently. From 18 but to I was 28, focused, I mean, God. for most people, I, if you talk to an 80-year-old man who has all the money in the world, and you said, 
Would you take all your money you have right now and be 80 years old, or would you be 18 and broke? That motherfucker is picking 18 and broke uh, every day. goddamn all time. All day, for sure. All day. Every time. There's, because there's, there's a certain you level learn of how motivation to make... that comes up when you're 18 and broke, and you go, I've got to make it today. Yes. And there's it, it, that feeling that we had was like, there is no tomorrow. It's today. You don't waste time. You just got after it. And I think you did the same thing. And then when you get there, you have to sort of reassess your bearing. That was, it was probably probably the toughest thing I've dealt with mental health wise was actually achieving what I set out to do. And I basically had like a midlife crisis, like in my like mid to late twenties. Um, I, I just felt like I sped run what I feel like the normal cliche midlife crisis is, is like you start working at this like corporate job and you're like, I really want to get to this position and climbing the corporate ladder can take 15, 20 years. And you reach that point when you're 45 and that was all you were shooting for, for the last 20 years. And you bankrolled yourself in five. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, (laughs) we'll get back to me in a second, but like you get there and I'm guessing like, this is the textbook definition is he gets there or she gets there and they're not happy. And then they're like, then what was I doing? If this doesn't make me happy, then like what does? And then, you know, he buys the Corvette or she buys the Corvette or does something else. Like I had this point where I was like, I had this mission of like, I'm going to work my butt off so then I can just do whatever I want. And then I got to the point, I'm like, now I can do whatever I want. And but what do I've been I struggling do? for like three years of like, then what is that going to be? Dude, yeah. we have, yeah. we have midlife crises here all the freaking time. All the time, dude. This podcast yeah, is a midlife like crisis. Give me a break. This podcast is a midlife crisis. Come on. In, in realms of definition, do we have small disagreements or wants to do things or try new stuff? Yes. But the main thing that we've really honed in on, especially the last three years, is hyper focus. Be focused. Be niche. Understand that you only have so much time in the day. Understand where you want to put your time. And then, if there's something that we all want to do, like this podcast then we give up a little something to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we've gotten buy-in from the wives and everybody else to do, and that's why we're here doing this with you. And to your point, though, you've gotten rid of so much of your obligations that take up your time, and you don't have to worry about finances. You are in a, in a very peculiar position that most everybody in the world will never get to experience in their life. That financial freedom is really key. So walk, mean, us, walk us through how you've been helping yourself the last three years get to a point where you're finding the next thing that's getting the gears to spin in your head. Yeah, no, I was, I was basically stuck in limbo for like two two to two and a half years of constantly looking for anything. (laughs) One of the things, the funnier, one of the funnier things I like to share is that over COVID I got really into curling the Olympic winter sport. Yeah. yeah. All right. Turns out there's a curling rink 15 minutes from my house, and it was the only curling rink in all of Texas. And so when I found this Score. out, because I always watch it on TV, and I was like, yo, and I looked into curling. There's like, there's no money wait, in wait, curling. Wait, 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 wait. Were you the guy with, like, the extreme hip mobility that's like that's pushing the, the little puck I was doing yoga or, to or, be or, able to or, lean. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. are you the guy that was brushing? Oh, I mean, on the teams <laughs> I was on to start. So basically, the brushers are like the grunts. They're this, like the all bra, no brains kind of guy. Like, they're the worst players. And then there's the guy <laughs> who's like calling the shots. He's basically like, imagine you're playing a game of horse and you're like, you're going to stand here and you're going to do this kind of shot. And so he decides everything. And I never got to the point. Uh, uh, there's a reason why I only did it for a short period of time, which I'll explain. But I never got to the point where I was calling all the shots. I was the grunt on every team. 
Um, but I got really into it. Like I hired the guy who was running the rink because he'd been doing it for decades to train me. I like, in, I offered to pay him. He's like, dude, like I can't believe how excited you are for this. Like, here, I'll just train you. So I'd come in during the day. I set up like cameras to record myself so I could review footage with him. That's okay. um, I got like really into. It. I'm like, again, That's it's cool. the same thing. Like, data we're gonna try something. We're gonna, is very important. Yeah. So there cool. was a point in if time where I was do like, it, "Fucking do it!" Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like don't you, do it to be, you know, blah. Don't be. Yeah. A bitch. Do it to be the greatest yeah. version of yourself doing that activity that you can be. Yeah, I, I, and I, you'll be surprised that your best is probably better than most other people. And yeah. never compare yourself to anybody but your day, your yourself the day before. Because if yeah. you compare yourself to everybody else in the rink, that that's not how you make progress. No, for sure, for sure, hundred percent. And so, so the the sad story of how that ends is. Uh, turns out the whole it being a curling rink was a COVID just get over the hump strategy and they turn it back into an ice skating rink uh, within about nine months of me starting there. And so the thing with curling is that the ice has to be in a very specific condition for the rocks to roll in the way that it does. And once people skate on it, it totally ruins it. It's like throwing a baseball in a hundred mile per hour winds that are like constantly going back and forth. It's like, how could you ever get good as a pitcher? It's if like there's the backyard no baseball elevator pitch. For, for yeah. everyone listening, yeah. Business Insider has a great video breaking down how they actually make the uh, the curling rock. Like, it's yeah. pretty really pretty awesome. Okay. All right, so awesome. John's not going to be in the Olympics. So yeah, so that was like I, I went the through only a time bunch it's frozen of things. In Texas, is so, yeah. so you found the something break. and they crush, they crush. <sighs> Yeah. All right, so that yeah. relates to business because sometimes shit out of your control just comes in and snatches you, and you have no yeah. choice. So you get up, you pick yourself up. That's nine months. What are you doing for the other uh, Two fifteen years. months? Oh, I mean, that the reason I read that up is because that was one of the things that was more extended. There was a lot of just stop and starts. There was a lot of just soul searching. There was I mean, honestly a big problem was the fact that like I did not have a lot of people that I could talk to that I could relate to, and so. I was able to solve that about a year ago in a big way. I got connected into a group of entrepreneurs um, of all ages. And even though even though on the first trip I did, I was out of the 200 there. I think it was like by only a few months, like the youngest on the trip. But I basically finally had a bunch of people where I could talk about these things and really relate to a lot of my good friends that I still that, you know, I, I cannot live without like I can't talk about. Dude, they can't the career relate. stuff. I can't, and, and and it ends up coming off really poorly to people. They think you're pretentious or you're, whatever else, yeah. but they don't like. They, how, they, how they can't sympathize with hey, you. Uh, exactly. let, let, on, yeah. let on go. Yeah, how the how somebody who hasn't been through the experiences that we've been through sees things is different than how you or I or Curtis or Wally's going to see something. And so when somebody comes up to us and they start talking about a topic, if I perceive them as being a peer. I feel like, okay, cool. We can get into the depth and we can start talking about this and strategies and nuances. But what I've come to realize is that person who hasn't been there, who hasn't had that experience, they see that as sort of like this constant one upping Mm -hmm. when it's really not. It's sort of like, you know, conversating back and forth to figure out the next thing. And what I've realized is there is only a small subset of people whose brains are turned on by that type of conversation. And then there's other people where, you know, being social and like keeping a conversation moving forward, but without actually going like too far in depth, that that's an entirely different skill, mm-hmm. you know? And that's where I, in my experience, I feel like most people fall is in that bucket. Yeah. And the other thing too, is you have a couple of things that a lot of people would really want, like the financial freedom and your, your sole focus was you're just like, Hey, I'm trying to find my bearing here. 
yeah. and you're probably just being very honest and very truthful and trying to figure out your situation, but they couldn't relate. I also want to throw this out there. Most people have issues talking about troublesome or difficult issues. Like yes. people people don't want to talk about <laughs> bad things. Yes. Where our culture is let's put that shit on the table. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so keep that in the back of your head. Like when you're mm-hmm. giving guidance, there's also yeah. a lot of extra stuff that you guys blow past as like well, don't Dude, I learned that guys. lesson hardcore yeah. this week. This man. Is, okay, explain. Yeah. Go. Love it. No, I'm not explaining that. It's an ongoing issue. Okay. Well, we we're about an hour and forty minutes into the podcast. So and you know, I'd like to give us an opportunity to have maybe a last topic and then we can wrap wrap some things up. So um after the curling, you know, we've had about two and a half years since that probably comes to an end or two years. Yep. What have you been doing in the meantime to find some purpose and motivation in your life? After curling I was so distraught with two years of just not finding anything that I got back into my business because I knew I could like double it in like six months. And I was like, might as well have, Why not? might as well have like the rest of my life to deal with, with twice the money. So I basically <laughs> like, this, <laughs> yeah. And there was a clear path. There was like one of my sites. I was like, Oh yeah. Like this could be like to this day, I'm still leaving so much on the table, but it could be, I just don't have the passion for it. But I, I like scale. I doubled the amount of people on the team, and then I just basically put a bow on it in like October of this past year. And then I hired somebody who started in January that sort of now runs that whole team that I built. And um, finally, I had something that crossed over the 100 hour mark. So something that I spent over 100 hours doing, and seems like something that I could do for a while that has nothing to do with finances, but it's just something that just brings me joy. And that has been producing music. I'm very new Let's down the line, go. but yes. uh, I, I just realized I developed a serious love of electronic music over the last three or four years. And for my whole life, I would just bounce between genres. I'd be like, all right, hip hop for six months. And then like alt rock for six months, like back to hip hop. I've been on this electronic train non-stop for yeah close to four years now and i'm like i think this is as core as a part of just like how i perceive myself and what i'm interested in and so this this past december it's only what are we march now this past december i like first started off just learning how to dj and within like two or three days like i didn't get amazing at it but i was like i can do i can dj at like an intermediate level it's not an insanely hard thing to do compared to other things if you're in the edm scene and you really know music and you have a passion and an ear for it the first time you get your hands on a controller or a deck setup yeah you lose track of time oh oh dude i i i realized I went the longest time between leaving my house as an adult in December of this year. I got so sucked in. I had so many days where I just get up and until like five in the morning sometimes be doing something. And so basically the first three days we're learning how to DJ. And then I was like, all right, I think I'm maybe ready to start producing. And then like once I just touched Ableton, which is like the main, one of the more popular software programs to compose music, uh, it was just nonstop. Um, and so it was It was so bad that by the end of December, I was like, I need to pause right now because my business is going to start falling apart. I have so many people I haven't talked to in like a month. I have to month. send invoices out. <laughs> yeah, no. I was like I, I like, I went from working out like five times a week to like I worked out twice in like four weeks. So I kind of had to stop it. And it was a perfect time. I was starting to get a little mind numb on it. 
And then I was just like really interested to just observe myself of like, will I come back to this? Was it just like a flash in the pan? I can get very obsessive. I could do some stop and starting. Um, and then like three or four weeks later, I had a weekend where I was up until 5 a.m. back to back nights, like making a new, new tracks. And then I was like, okay, this is something. This if is something. It happens twice. You know, there might be that's that's starting to look like a pattern. And then it became three times. And then, you know, I'm probably on the fourth go of it now. And now I'm like very jazzed that like, okay, there's still a lot to go. Like, I don't think I trust myself to really think that this is something I will fully 100% commit all of my mind share for, which is I'm looking for. I'm looking for something to just consume me completely, but I yeah. don't want to like start like selling all my businesses and clearing everything off my plate until I get to that point. But I think that point is a thousand hours and I need to get close to a year through it. And so I'm excited that I finally found something that again, I got over the 100. I think with curling, I'd probably gotten to 100 to 150 hours on this. I'm at like 300 in like half the time. And so this is so. what we our, feel like this podcast could get to. Our goal is to get this podcast to a degree where we can find people to replace us at the consulting firm. Yep. We can be in there in an advisory role and we can start to do this podcast yeah. a little more full time. And, and I'm here for it. All of our uh, if, and if, if, talent acquisition. We're, yeah, talent way. acquisition yeah, yeah, yeah. is, yeah, yeah. is one Sorry. of the things we're actually all passionate about. <laughs> no, throwing that out there. No, no. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, Alan. I love your idea. Just that, that, we have no, to still and, do that. And, and <laughs> in all seriousness, what, the, each of the lines of business we run are our passions, and we like to stay up to date on them. And the talent acquisition piece is one of the pieces that we had, you know, spend time doing because our business, our clients are our priority. But before our clients are our people, and that is our most valuable resource. And so that's the thing we, we know that we have to continue to put our time into. To backtrack to what you were doing, I want to ask you a question of how are you going to set this up? So, one, you're not going to let your body wither away. Two, you're not going to just go off the deep end like people like all of us can do where you get so hyper fixated on something that it's all you do. How are you going to make this last seven days? I need, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but I got three, yeah. three EPs and a new album coming out tomorrow. <laughs> Drop, see you later. Uh, <laughs> an empty bottle of Adderall. Hit me up on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. They call me DJ Johnny John. Fui, 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 fui. So how are you going to make this sustainable for you where you can do this for 10, 15, 20 years? And I ask you that question honestly because when I – I have been very big in the EDM scene for a long time. So has Alan. I don't know. Wally wasn't it with us I, for a little while. I, you've done some great stuff with yeah. Producer Scott. I just play, I've yeah. made like 20 songs that yeah. have never been we released. We had an attempt at it. DJ.com bros. Uh, yeah. DJ.com bros. By the way, still live. We, we never really attempted it, if I'm being honest. Uh, and yeah. I look at guys like Tommy Trash or Tiesto oh. or um, uh, Paul. I'm drawing a blank on his last name. Paul Oakenfeld. These are guys that are like in their late 40s, early 50s. And dude, they've been doing this for 30 years. They got some great If hair. this is something you're that passionate about, what is your process you're going to put in place to allow you to be successful but not to allow this thing to consume you where you burn out in five years? Dude, that's like point B to point C. I'm, I'm point, A to point, point A to point B right now. Like those are things that are like – Live in a hypothetical will, world with me. Let's go to point B. No, no. I'm staying focused on exactly what's in front of me. Like the Okay. If you start Respect. thinking too far ahead in terms of the parts that you need to automate and scale in your business before mm-hmm. like you before can you get even to the know point where there. like yeah. that but makes sense to pre, do. Pre MVP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like 
I would love to have those problems because that means I've actually gotten that far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like, if anything I've learned is like there are plenty of, there are businesses I've started where I'm like, oh man, I can't wait till we get to this point of traffic wise, then we can launch our own products or services for this and these. And it's so fun to like think all the way down that path. But the more time you spend thinking all the way down that path, how do path, I lay the stone? You don't want to like me. not yeah. like take into account what could happen in the future because you want to allow yourself the possibilities. You don't want to like make short term decisions that could have long term expenses. But the more time you focus on point B to point C and point C to point D, when you're not even the less time you're actually yeah. focusing on what's in front of you. So, dude, I would love to be on this podcast in a year from now or five years from now and be talking about those things with you. But like, yo, DJ Johnny Don, I'm not going to even entertain and, and those kind of questions. Not to be a jerk, but like, cake and cake and Alan in the face. Woo, let's go, and, and, yeah. cake me. And, and Curtis, we have a different <laughs> dynamic where, in that case, you know, we all are looking at different timelines. I may be mm -hmm. looking crazy far out. Alan's looking like, what's tomorrow look like? What's next month look well, like? You know, or, 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 <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. But, but you're asking that question to a soul person no, who's I, trying yeah. like you're you're in a privileged space where you have multiple people thinking long term or short term for you you know that's a lot to put well, on also somebody. also like if there are things that long term like, that hardcore. like that will like close me off or make it easier to do in terms of what i can do short term then for sure like like sense. if but but, but I, I only, those I only, are things that are purely just I, gonna be a thing once i get there there's yeah. nothing i can do right now to yeah. make it easier on me that, for that that's a very fair statement i yeah. only ask because i shared this with you earlier off air and I was talking about like I remember totally. when Avicii died and yeah. Avicii has his documentary, yeah. and you know, like Hardwell he stopped touring and and I've just seen some of the guys fall out or like, you know Calvin Harris in 2014 had to be resuscitated because mm -hmm. his heart stopped totally. and then one of the bingo players got cancer and I've just we've kind of seen some of this stuff happen, and I saw how passionate you were like I saw the fire in your eyes when you yeah. told me this is what you're doing I'm like ooh, he's 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 you're gonna get it at some point you're gonna get it because I know you. In the back of my mind, I was just like, hey, how could you do this successfully for long term? Because then the next things that popped in my head, I was like, hey, the, T the Tommy Trashes, the Tiestos, the Paul Oakenfelds. Totally. Totally. Those dudes have been doing this for a while. They figured the recipe out. Uh -huh. yeah. Like, like yeah. even credit to Snoop Dogg. Yep. Right? Snoop Dogg's not EDM, but Snoop Dogg, he's been relevant for 30 years in the yeah. rap scene. I need to be relevant for one year, and then I can <laughs> figure out the other 29. Yeah. yeah, first you want to see if it's realistic. Then you want to see, is it sustainable? Yeah, I get you. Yeah. But that's a, a really good point here, talking about sustainability for younger entrepreneurs. Um, I know a guy who had a lightweight agency who then started building like ADU units or like think granny flats, uh, um, things like that, or in-law quarters, that type of stuff. And to him and his brother and his dad, uh, they build this down. They have, a, they have actually a very successful uh, company doing that. But, you know, I follow him on Instagram and you know, it seems like he's let a lot of other things go in his life to try to focus on that success. And I think what I what advice I can give on that topic that Curtis brought up that's not related to you being a DJ, but is related to the question he asked is understand your life circumstances, your life circumstances you should use to build some guide rails as to what does sustainable look like for you in your current life. Because you might have the opportunity to go ham, to go hard seven days a week, 20 hours a day, because you're so motivated and passionate about it. But, you know, you might meet someone magical along the way. You know, you might want to have kids. You might find something that allows you to reconsider, you know, um, how much time do you want to be spending, et cetera. And, you know, use where you're at in life to figure out 
what does sustainable look like to you? Because, you know, sustainable is all, it's, it's subjective to a degree. And I think that that's a very good point. So for a young entrepreneur, you should be, you know, thinking like you, hey, I got to figure out this thing works. I got to do whatever it takes to try to figure that out. But, you know, if I'm somebody who's 30, right, and I have a kid and a wife, I'm probably going to have to look at if I'm starting a business, you're probably going to have to consider what Curtis talked about. Hey, does this have some type of realistic path towards sustainability or am I going to have to trade you know, my time with my kid or time uh, with my wife. So or I is your wife that. that much of a ball and support system where she can enable you to basically just go gung-ho straight for a year straight? To put yeah, but then you put your relationship at it's jeopardy. Strain. It's strange. You know, it's strange. You, sure. you get my point. But with that said, John, any closing topics or remarks? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, John, if somebody wanted to reach you to talk about uh, doing some SEO work for link building, where could they reach your agency at? I don't take on work anymore. Ta-da! <laughs> Do you have anybody that you refer them to? Um, they can email me. They can email me. at uh, So my, my agency website is hyperlinksmedia.com, but the links is spelled like a cat. L-Y-N-X. L-Y-N-X. Uh, if you email me through there and you're interested in that kind of work, I will refer you to somebody that could help with that. Solid. So, so you can yeah. go to hyperlinks media. That's H Y P E R L Y N X media, M E D I A.com. And, uh, you can go ahead and reach out to John. He'll put you in contact with somebody. Oh man. John, the, if somebody's the, a producer, the audio, the audio transcription service just got so messed up. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. like media, M E D I A. If somebody's a producer and they're interested in your music, they can reach out to you on Twitter. Maybe they can wait a year before I put anything out. Yeah. What are, what's your Twitter handle? J O N Cooper ATX, I believe. Okay, it used so to be point blank SEO, and I had to change it, and I've been back and forth ATX. for yeah. J O N Cooper ATX. Okay. ATX is for Austin. Perfect. Yeah. Well, John, yeah. it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. Thank you very much for the hour and uh, fifty-one minutes. Really appreciate your time. And it's, it's been great to have you in California from Texas, and man. It's he, great to see you again. It is absolutely great to see you again. It's been about a year and a half.